Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com and the movement GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. We have a great show today talking about healing when sexual addiction invades a marriage. And also we will be chatting about being single and being content. There is a new and widespread epidemic in our nation and even in our churches. It's called the Not Yet Married Life. And the statistics suggest that this group is growing at an unprecedented rate in American history. But before we get too far into our show, you are listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. And we will not have Lisa on our show today. It is me, Patty, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. Our first guest today is Meg Wilson, and she is the author of Hope After Betrayal. She's also a speaker to women's groups, Bible studies and conferences. 18 years ago, she began leading Healing Hearts groups. Then in 2013, she founded the Hope After Betrayal Ministries to bring help and hope to women whose husbands are caught in the web of sexual addiction. Her mission is to help women find hope and healing from the pain of their partner's sexual betrayal. So welcome, 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 Meg. How are you today? Great. Thanks, Patty. Thanks for having me. Yes, we are so excited to have you on the show, and uh, this is a topic that recently we're hearing more and more about, but I love that you wrote this book to help those so many women that are out there that are dealing with this, and I shouldn't just say um, so many women, there there are men now that are dealing with their women, um, their wives that are addicted sexually and into pornography, so this is a topic that we definitely need to unpack. So tell us a little yeah. bit about your story, Meg, and what happened to where you came to writing this book. Oh, gosh. Well, in a nutshell, I was... Um, doing life like most people, going to church, had two girls, American dream, the, the house, the car, the family. I would have bet the farm on my husband's honesty and fidelity. I remember um, our accountant saying, man, your husband is as honest as a day is long. And I thought, yeah, he is. But then not long after that comment, things erupted in our marriage. And I discovered that while well, he disclosed part of his issues with internet pornography, and I did what most good Christian women do. I said, I forgive you, and we moved on. I was glad that it was that he had come to me, but he had done what many men do, and that is not tell everything. So probably about a couple of years later, uh, the rest of the information came out. He, was, he had signed up to be in a men's group at our church. I was actually starting to lead the group for women at our church, and he came home from a business trip and uh, had fallen, had gone outside of our marriage and um, came home to confess literally the day I was supposed to share my testimony of hope. Mm. And um, I just remember feeling shocked and 
completely blindsided. Now, a lot of women have an indication that something's going on. They should definitely trust their guts. I was pretty much blindsided because what, what some men, and I'm sure women do, is they have this dark corner of their lives and they make every other corner as squeaky clean as possible in order to hide that dark secret. And so, um, Basically, I went from facilitating and leading a group to being a participant in the group. And um, through that process and through the process of, of ministering to women, I, about three years later, wrote the book that I wish I had because I kept hearing women say, we need a book that gives us hope. And so that's pretty much the impetus for the book. So the book is titled, I Wish I Had? No, no, it's just, it's the book, the book is titled Hope After Betrayal because I, because I wanted hope. And so that's what I wrote. I I wrote the book that I wish I had had when that bomb went off in our marriage because I really wanted, I was just needing hope. I mean, I needed information as well, but in that moment, you just want to know that God is still with you. Okay, so I want to unpack a few things that you said there. Well, first of all, so you yeah. wrote the book Hope After Betrayal. That's the number one book. And then this is your second book. Right. That Hope After Betrayal. And, yeah, well, this is the revised and expanded version. After 10 years of walking with hundreds of women, you, you learn more things. And mm-hmm. so we've, I've put a perspective at the end of each chapter. But I also realized when I had a group of primarily African-American women, that there was cultural differences. And so I added a fourth story. The book has three fictional women, now four. And so her voice is intended to be more ethnic. Of course, I didn't write that by myself. I had friends help me with that voice. But I wanted every woman every woman, to find herself in the pages of the book. Well, I, I have so many questions <laughs> with what you just said. I'm sure. <laughs> I do want to start with the cultural differences, and then I, I'll backtrack to the, the other question of how you feel as, as a woman when you when you find this out, just how inadequate and insecurities, obviously, that come out. But uh, let's yeah. go back to the, the cultural differences, because that's really interesting. Yeah, so I had a group, like I said, of primarily African-American women, and I realized that in this group there was a high percentage of women whose husbands didn't just have affairs. They had babies. Mm. And um, that in the Hispanic and and in the African-American culture is more prevalent. And so in the fourth woman's story, she discovers her husband's infidelity when a woman shows up at her front door with a baby. So that was a... That was a key piece. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as how a woman feels, I mean, everything else is the same. Pain is pain, and betrayal is the most intimate betrayal by the person who is supposed to love you and honor you and cherish you is a wound that is beyond deep. Um, and, of course, the first place women go is, it's my fault. I, I must not have been sexy enough, thin enough fill in the blank. Or some women will think, oh, I deserve this because I have something in my background, my past, and God's punishing me. It's amazing the things the enemy will do to tie us to our husband's poor choices. Mm. And so that's what I hear often is, you know, a lot of it was me because I was having issues intimately 
in bed. So obviously right. he's going to go, you know, somewhere else. And so th- definitely that, um, just, <laughs> you put it all on you. What, what yeah. is going on now, now? Your husband came to you the first time and shared with you what, what he was dealing with. And at that mm-hmm. point he's, he's going and having an accountability partner through, you said Bible study, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's still doing this because it, it's a brain disease, right? It's, it has nothing to do. Can you explain a little bit more in that and how you unpack that in your book? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question, Patty. It's, it's an addiction like any other addiction. The only difference is it, that these men discover their own body chemistry, the endorphins and Kaplan's, the things that happen to a man or a woman during that arousal point. It's, it's, it's powerful. It was intended to be powerful. God intended it to cement a husband and a wife for life. But when we distort it and we use it out of context, and then it becomes a use, they use it to medicate pain. And believe me, it took me a long time to wrap my brain around it. I was like, okay, you're in pain? Take an aspirin. I, this is a deep emotional pain. Most of them, many of the men and women have suffered trauma in their lives and, um, often have issues with, you know, absentee parents or distant parents or, you know, not that we're going to blame all of this on our parents, but there's usually a deep trauma. For my husband, for example, at 10, year, at 10 years old, you cannot go buy a beer. You can't go get drugs very easily. So he discovered that masturbation was took away the pain. And so that became a pattern, and then that, basically creates a neural pathway in the brain, and um, the more you take that pathway, you know, it starts off as a dirt road, and then it becomes a street, and then it becomes a highway, and by the time you're 30 or 40, this is a super highway in your brain, and you've learned to objectify women, and you've learned that whenever there's any kind of pain or stress or joy, that this is where I, this is where I go. The other thing that's really, really critical for for people to understand is that addiction is insanity. So to try to apply logic, like it seems somewhat logical that if for a man to go outside of his marriage, there must be something wrong. That feels logical. But see, addiction is insanity. And many of these marriages, for example ours, the sex was fine. The sex was good. There There was no seemingly, he had a loving wife at home who was, waiting for him. But again, it's insanity. So I spent a lot of energy trying to figure out what was going on and why it happened. And I finally had to just reconcile the fact that this doesn't make sense. And anybody who's dealt with an alcoholic or a drug addict, at some point you realize the drug takes over. The person is almost gone. And it's really no different. The problem is sex has so much stigma and shame attached that um, it makes it a little bit more complicated, a little more difficult to pull yourself out as a wife and to realize that these are his choices. This is something that would have happened whether he married you or didn't marry you. And at what point, obviously, now it's been 17 years from that first time that your husband shared this with you. Uh, This has been a crazy journey, I'm sure. At at what point were you able to go, this isn't about me, even though it is about you, because I do believe that 
obviously dysfunction breeds dysfunction. But we we have a minute left, Meg. If you'll just share with our listeners, like uh, what what happened? And I know you know God obviously is is the ultimate answer here. Um, but but sure. give us a tip there in the last minute of our show. Oh boy, There's, it, it was a process. It, I, it was a process. I had to understand the addiction. I had, I did have to understand there was a reason that the two of us got together. Of course, I came from a family with alcoholic alcoholism in the background. So did he. There was, there were definitely, you know, reasons why we got together, and we, you know, I didn't see the red signs. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Tabata workouts are all the rage right now, but are they the right workout for you? Named after Japanese scientist Tabata, these high-intensity interval workouts can be completed in four minutes. Any exercise can be incorporated into the Tabata training, whether aerobic or weights. The basic outline of the Tabata training method is 20 seconds of intense training, followed by 10 seconds of rest. There is a total of eight sessions or rounds. Shape Magazine says it can increase your aerobic capacity, your anaerobic capacity, VO2 max, resting metabolic rate, and can help you burn more fat than a traditional 60-minute aerobic workout. That's right. They claim that four minutes of Tabata can get you better fitness gains than an entire hour of running on the treadmill. It may be worth a try. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, we've been chatting with Meg Wilson, author of Hope After Betrayal, and she's providing all kinds of reassuring counsel, compassionate insight, and wise direction to those who have found themselves in similar circumstances by sharing her story, talking to other women who've walked the same road and turning to scripture. Meg has helped so many women through the steps of recovery. Um, Meg, you just dealing with your husband when he came to you and said that he was um, addicted to sex. Now, that I'm sure he didn't come to you and say, hey, guess what? I'm, I'm addicted here. How did he actually come to you 
and spill all this fun stuff, all this great information to you the first time? Well, you know, the first time, actually, a friend of ours called us, and he had moved away, and he said that he was stepping down as the deacon of his church because he was addicted to pornography. It was the first I had ever heard of anything like that, and I was shocked because he was a great husband and dad, and but that was the impetus for my husband to realize, oh, my gosh, what he's describing is the same thing I have. So that's, that's what prompted my husband to then tell me what was going on. Mm. And then when, when you first heard about this, were you thinking, okay, this is something that, um, you know, all guys are just doing and this is an easy fix? Or what, what were your thoughts? What were your initial reaction? I I think initially I I thought I just felt like I saw God in it. My friend, I knew who to call, obviously, because her husband was struggling. So I immediately had someone to call. She gave me I think there was only maybe one book out at that time, but I had a resource. And to be honest, I I did just put sort of a high gloss Christian finish on it and be like, well, God's moving here. My husband came to me. He's getting help, you know, la, la, la. And then it wasn't until until he came the second time, and I'll never forget the look on his face when he walked in the door and he had a journal rolled up, and he had sat down and written a timeline starting when he was 10 years old and found his father's pornography on through the, the time when he confessed to me, almost everything, then the, the stuff he left out, but then the additional things that, that came after that. So um, the second time was probably when it, I really, the trauma was complete, and I really had to begin to, to grapple with the gravity of the situation. There wasn't enough high gloss, I guess, at that point. And... What are some of the, you know, a couple things. How did your husband feel when you were like, hey, I'm exposing this. I want to help others. I'm going to share our deep, dark junk (laughs) and bring it to light. How did he respond to that? And what would you suggest for our listeners that are dealing with this same situation? What are some of the steps that they can go through to get that hope that you're talking about and that you wrote about in your book? Oh gosh. Well, the first part is, was a, it was a very long process. One of the things that I felt like God said to me in, in, in the dark time was, I, you've lost a lot of dreams, Meg, but there's one dream that only you and I know about, and that's the dream to be published. And I'm going to give you that. That was all I heard. And I thought, great, I'm going to write children's stories. (laughs) And so, yeah, so I got busy. I actually, went through Jerry Jenkins' Christian Writers Guild program and two-year program where you have a mentor and you write everything, humor, fiction, nonfiction, children's devotional, et cetera. Through that process, God was working in my life, and I was ministering to women. I was hearing them say, gosh, there's just so little information out there. So he was building he was building that in me. And then the, the process of writing the book took three years, and there were so many multiple discussions and friends sitting us down saying, you really need to think about how this is going to affect, affect your kids and your parents, I mean, your kids and your husband. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, I don't want to 
injure my family, obviously. And so there was a lot of prayer, a lot of discussion. I went to the book the first time. I'm going to write it as someone who leads groups as, as an expert. That didn't work because I don't, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a pastor. What I have is my story. So then I was going to put a pseudonym on it. Someone suggested just use a a pseudonym. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. And I'm thinking, I'm writing here that God has given us freedom from this. It's not our identity. That's Mm -hmm. who my husband once was. That is not who we are anymore. How can I not put my name on it? And so even down to the point where we got to the last, the galleys from from the publisher, and I said, okay, Tell my kids, they were, they were in their 20s at this point, and my future son-in-law was there. And I said, I want all of you to read this. Imagine it on every bookstore, and any one of you has veto power. If you do not want this book out. The other thing is, I don't go into all the detail. I'm not feeding a voyeur. The whole point of the book is to provide hope, and there's enough information for women to know that I get where they are. I know the devastation. And then we move on, and it's, we don't stay the other piece, the final piece, is that my husband wrote the last chapter for a reason. He answers the questions. And I tell you, everybody that I know said to me, I have to confess, Meg, I read his chapter first. And I said, yes, <laughs> I think I, get I would it. too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yes. And he gets, he's the man behind the ministry. He, he, this wouldn't happen if it wasn't for him. He's one of the bravest people I know. And I'm... I'm so thankful, but somebody, somebody had to, somebody had to do it. Somebody had to get up, stand up and say, listen, we're normal people. And we actually represent probably 50% of the population in the church. So come on people, let's, Mm -hmm. let's be vulnerable. Let's be honest about our brokenness and that way we can heal from it. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. Yeah. The more transparent we are, the more of the bond, our, our body of Christ, because that's why we're there. Yep. Is to surround. We, uh, I know I I grew up in that place of, you know, your parents. I had that generation where you don't you don't talk about this. That's something you talk about privately. You you definitely don't don't put it out there. Uh, Interesting that you had your kids read it and you wanted their um, perspective. How do you think it affected them growing up? And not talking about this. Were they aware of what was going on? Do you think that there's, you know, something there that they're going to have to unpack now as adults? Yeah, actually, that's happening. That's happening now. They're, um, they're, my youngest actually gets married next month. And my oldest has a, has our first grandson. So yeah, it's, it's happening now. It, it, there's no way around it. It was traumatic. It was trauma for them. And even, Though we tried to include them in the process, they were they were, you know, teens and, and young young twenties. They didn't have the bandwidth to fully comprehend. But here's the reality: what what did we do when we deal with trauma? We got help. We went to counseling. So that's what we've modeled for our kids. They're they're going to be in counseling. I, I'm not sure if there's anyone who shouldn't be in counseling. If, yeah. if you know of someone who got perfect parents, could you really introduce me to them? Because I'd like yes. to meet them. 
Absolutely. So. Well, congratulations on the grandbaby and congratulations on the wedding that's that's coming up. And also congratulations on, on throwing out this book again, Hope After Betrayal. And there's all kinds of resources that you have available to go along with Hope After Betrayal. Yeah. So I want to hear um, from you, like where our listeners can, can find out more. And what would you suggest, which is just two tips um, that you have for all of us, like, you know, I love that where everybody needs counseling. <laughs> that's, we all need yeah. someone to, to talk to about our junk, that that's just, a, you know, a freebie there that you can run and go find someone that can hold you accountable, <laughs> that can be your support. And what are some other tips mm-hmm. for our listeners? Well, I think first and foremost is to find at least someone safe you can tell, and move slowly, move prayerfully. Obviously, Hope After Betrayal Ministries exists to be that person. I have an on-staff counselor who's there two days a week. She'll do um, counseling via the computer or the phone or obviously in person. We have groups locally in Vancouver, Washington, but we also do remote groups where they come in via a Zoom meeting. So you can look for that online. We also have a list of resources books. Most most men and women are, that find themselves in this situation are have a library about this pretty soon because you just, you just need to understand what you're dealing with. Um, and th- the good news is now, 17 years later, there's a lot of good books out there. There's a lot of good reso- resources out there. So I think you prayerfully choose those. If you're looking for a counselor, please look for someone who understands sexual addiction and isn't trying to apply their logic to an insane situation because that can be damaging. So I think you, you move prayerfully, you move slowly, and I think if there's only one thing I want you to know, it's that no matter where, however deep and big and wide your pain and trauma feels, God is deeper and bigger and wider. Mm, God is bigger and deeper and wider. Uh, that yeah. That is a great uh, comment to go into our commercial break. And I just want to say thanks again, Meg, for, for being on our show today. And I, I do want to, um, if you can just give one more tip on finding a counselor that is dealing and has dealt with sexual addiction, uh, that I, th- I think, once again, so many women blame themselves and do that shame really well and guilt really well that it it is a brain disease is what you're saying it is insanity so any i'm sure it took you a long time to figure that one out so can you just share a little bit more on that to really put that point across yeah i mean it it just it does it feels counterproductive i get that because you're going to have those messages and Listen, we're we're surrounded with messages that say that our value as women and men is in our looks and our sexuality. So we're we're swimming upstream here against the culture. But the, the truth is the truth, and those people that have done the studies and have you know really looked at they're actually looking at brains that are of addicts and seeing that they look very similar to drug addict brains. I mean, it's it really is brain chemistry. However, what I don't want someone to hear is that your husband or wife is brain damaged, that there's yes. no hope because yeah. God, obviously God can rewire um, and God can restore and redeem the situation. So I think get, getting that support and 
groups. I believe in groups as well as counseling, obviously. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90-plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a -a one-of-a-kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Muscle soreness is not an accurate gauge of whether you've had a good workout or not. After you have exercised the next day, you may not feel anything or you may have muscle awareness. But if your muscles are really sore, that's not good. Not only physically, but mentally also. Being sore has many factors, such as how much stress you've been under, how much sleep you have had, how your eating is going, etc., So scoring your workout on how sore you are is counterproductive. I am asking you to work out every day. But if you push yourself too hard one day and are so sore that you can't work out the next day, that's not a good thing. Exercise should be pleasant and productive. I want you to exercise the rest of your life. Working out does not have to be uncomfortable to be effective. Be consistent, get a great workout in, and enjoy. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back. We um, have our next special guest is Tatum Skogabo, and I have known Tatum since she was a child. I've watched her grow into a beautiful, brilliant young woman with some great insights, and recently Tatum and I were chatting uh, about some fun things of just being single. She is currently going to the university with a calling to go into ministry, and she has a huge heart for the Lord and is amazingly curious. And as we were talking about that fun stage of of being single and being okay with it, when you can finally get to that point where you go, you know what? I don't always have to have a boyfriend with me in every season of, of my life. So Tatum, welcome to our show today. And I'm so excited to unpack this conversation. How are you? I I am good. Um, I woke up with a little bit of a scratchy throat, which I know is like, majority of the importance of the podcast but you know we're here we're kicking it um, but yeah I'm so excited to be here today well uh the other day we were talking and it's just kind of funny and sorry about your scratchy throat by the way because I think last night 
actually, we had a party called the Breakfast Club, and we, even though it was the evening, we had all things breakfast items and in our pajamas, so maybe you were just partying too much at breakfast time, even though it was in the evening, um, that gave you this, this scratchy throat. But anyway, that's a side note. I think it's interesting when I talk with so many um, individuals that are single and Part of that frustration is you kind of look at this great big eight planets, 204 countries, 809 islands, seven seas, seven billion people, and I'm single. You go, okay, God, what is up with that? And supposedly there, there's some research out that there's a new and widespread epidemic in our nation mm -hmm. and even in our churches, and it's called the not yet married life, even though you're way too young to get married, but they're saying that, that the <laughs> They suggest that this group is growing um, at an unprecedented rate in America because in 1956, according to the United States Census Bureau, the average age at which a man was married for the first time was 22, and for women it was 20. So those numbers have climbed uh, over the years, and now, beginning in the 1970s, recently, they reached the age of 29 years of age for men and 26 for women. Um, it's actually 26.6. But you look at that and you go, oh, wow, it just keeps, we keep getting older and older and older um, to, to stay single longer and longer and longer. And I think what I hear a lot of people your age is already, you know, you're hitting 18 going, how long? Do I really have to wait a decade before I find this? you know, my soulmate, and am I going to be alone forever? And is that what, what you feel like as you're talking to your friends, that there is that emotion and that, that feeling that's out there? Yeah, for sure. I feel like there's almost two sides. Like right now, either friends are like, oh, my gosh, I wish I had a boyfriend. When is it going to happen? When's my soulmate going to come? And then the other half is like either coming out of a relationship or just is like dealing through views on a relationship um, and just has this like really negative view on like, well, I never want a boy in my life. So there's just two extremes and I've definitely participated in both sides. Uh, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it's interesting. Recently we were with a bunch of girls and we were talking about like, how do you see, you know, the next year of your life? And you jokingly had it all planned. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, you're, you're going to tell them about just... my fake love triangle. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, so many times I do think there's just this dream as you're in college that, you know, I'm going to meet this guy and all these, you know, wonderful things are going to happen. And that becomes our focus. It's not about our relationship with God. It's not about, you know, mm -hmm. how the, our calling of, you know, using our strengths and what we're going to focus on with school. And, you know, Paul talks about singleness in first Corinthians and it's really easy to read that. I know I did when, when I was single and in college and I would read through scripture and go, no, I, I don't want to be Paul. <laughs> I don't want <laughs> singleness that God created me with such a strong desire to have, you know, we're wired for those relationships. And yeah. yet you hear people say, oh, trust in God's timing. And you'd look at them and go, yeah, you're married. Of course you can say <laughs> that. Uh, but, but it really is about that. 
to trust in God's timing and, you know, think about it is, you know, we're so amazing that it's going to take God a little extra time to create our mate. That's going to be just as amazing as we are. But so what has been your experience or your story of, of being single? Yeah. So, um, I've been single for like two and a half years and I think coming out of, uh, like there've been interests along the way, but nothing, uh, nothing serious. Um, but coming out of that relationship, I think I was so focused on that relationship at first that I like wasn't open to anyone else coming into my life. And I was constantly just looking back on that for so long. And even though you're broken up, it's so easy to just like go back to the texting every day. And then all of a sudden you're hanging out and then all of a sudden you're kissing again. And then it's like, you're dating without the title, like just say it. Um, And then I think moving forward after that, I was just, um, just had like the most negative view of relationships because I wasn't in one, all my friends were in one. And then when you're the single one in the group, I think it you just get, get so annoyed with relationships because you're like, oh, yeah, well, they're dating, so they don't want to hang out with me. Um, when like, Not that that's true, but it's just like I think those things start to add up, and um, I started viewing dating really negatively. Um, and just because of how I acted when I was in a relationship because um, it wasn't God-focused, I think that I viewed every relationship to be against God. Um, and just over the past six months, <clears throat> God has just been working on my heart and just showing me, like, hey, relationships, I can still work through. <laughs> can you believe it? God can work through anything. Like, what's up with that? <laughs> um, but God's just been showing me that, like, he is working in relationships and um, to be open to going into one, but at the same time, how positive um, the effects of, like, my single life and being single and how I've used that and how he's used that is also a good thing, that, like, both seasons are good. So that's kind of where I am now, long story short, um, with just being single and being in that season of life. You said a couple things there that put a smile on my face, Tate. And when you said um, <laughs> kiss, kissing without the title, uh, <laughs> that is, I, I think that we could really discuss that because I hear that so often where all of a sudden, you know, you, you've broken up, but there's this bond here because you're, you're breaking up with your best friend because many times you, you've been with this person and you've, you know, shared all conversations with them. And then uh, you have to be careful with, is it healthy? Is it unhealthy? Like you said, the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're kissing. So you feel weird about it because you're not in this relationship anymore. So you leave kind of feeling that, Ooh, what what was that? Are we back together again? Or are we Mm -hmm. just hanging out? Is this our new way of hanging out and, you know, chilling together? What is going on? And once again, and you said this to, to put that focus on, on God, because the enemy truly is out to destroy and derail. And I especially think focusing on single people in our devotion and in our ministries, but God does intend to use you and use your faith, use your time, use your singleness in radical ways, like right now where you are. And and so many times we think, oh, no, God is preparing me for marriage, and that's when I'll be used, rather than saying, no, I, I'm here right now. God is going to use me 
for, in my strengths and in my giftedness mm -hmm. to really do extraordinary things and punch the world with it. So I, I love that. We have three minutes, Tatum, before we go into our commercial break. And okay. we, you and I talked about like, if you aren't happy single, you're not going to be happy taken. So what, what are we, what are you doing right now to, to find that happiness in being content and being single? Yeah. Um, so this past year, I think really God has been showing me because at first I was like, oh, well, because God just kind of like hit me and was like, hey, Tatum, you're not going to enjoy being in a relationship if you're not enjoying being single and just mad that you're being single um, or th mad that you are single. And mm -hmm. God was just kind of showing me, like, look at all the things that are already like going on in your life that are good because you have all this extra time. Like, uh, like I got to build so many new relationships this past year because I had all that time and I didn't, uh, it wasn't like if I wanted to hang out with someone at 1030 at night, like, and decide that at like 1015 at night and just like go mm -hmm. get ice cream, you know, like those, you're the only one deciding those kind of, or making <laughs> yeah. those decisions. Um, so yeah, it's just like a really cool place to be where you're, you don't have to really check in with anyone depending. I mean, maybe you might have to check in with your parents. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that, that is so true. Um, to not have to worry about the freedom there of not having to yeah. check in and the freedom of truly having guy friends. Cause I think it's healthy mm -hmm. to have that. And when you're always with that one guy, then you're dealing with the jealousies. Why are you hanging out with this other guy? Why are you with your friends? Why are you always choosing your friends over me? And the, it, you know, looking back at this fun season of life that you're in, if you really capture the fun part of it and mm -hmm. embrace that, and I, I want to talk about that, like some things that we can do when you're in this, not, not only, you know, being single, of course you can do this when you're with someone or when, when you're, you're married as well, but to really brainstorm this time and be strategic about some things you can do for fun, like going to a coffee shop just by yourself mm -hmm. and watch people yeah sitting there and strategizing, maybe writing a blog or writing a, you know, a book or some writing a thought provoking movie. I don't know, whatever you want to do <laughs> there, <laughs> you know, going to a music concert. So we're going to discuss all these fun things that you can do. Be creative. Use This is Girlfriend on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. 
That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. It's merging network. Did you realize that Twitter is over 10 years old? Twitter was first launched in March of 2006, with the hashtag feature appearing about a year and a half later. Twitter employs more than 2,700 people around the world. Today, there are over 241 million active users on Twitter, with an average of 500 million tweets per day. Now that's a lot of traffic. A lot of new words have been coined from the Twitter app. Uh, Tweetart is your Twitter boyfriend or girlfriend, and Twitterphoria is the feeling you get when they tweet you back. If you don't want to feel like a twittiot when you tweet, there's a whole list of proper twetiquette available. At first, even I was a bit of a Twitterphobe, but if you want to follow me at Too Funny Carolyn, that would be twittastic. It's Marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back. We have been chatting with Tatum Skogobo and talking about, are you mad that you are still single? And that scary question for some of us that are in the waiting, will I be single forever? Would God really withhold the good gifts of love and marriage and intimacy and children from me? So we're going to talk about today's goals. Start with Jesus. Start with Jesus. Start with Jesus. And we left and went on a commercial break talking about things you can do for fun, like just embracing this time that you are single. Uh, go to the coffee shop, write a blog, write a book, I don't know, create a movie, You know, go to a music concert with a bunch of girlfriends, uh, cook with friends. Uh, one of the things mm. that I remember doing, and, and this is crazy, and Tatum, you know how weird and twisted and crazy <laughs> I am, is we went to the library one time, and I, I we need to do this. Tatum with just our group of, of friends that um, we did a scavenger hunt where we wrote up questions and then we gave them and everybody else you had to go find, you know, like you'd say some weird, crazy thing about Harry Potter and you'd have to find, you know, what page it was in to find the next tip. And it was so much fun, especially when you're in Arizona and it's like 117 degrees to go into a cold library and do that. But what are some other things, Tatum, that you found, you know, hey, I can embrace this and have some good times with either myself or with a group of friends. Yeah, um, a not as exciting thing, <laughs> but fun, is really just, I learned how to, like, embrace my family and hang out with my family more and just realize how important those relationships are. Uh, because when you're in a dating relationship, you're usually just trying to balance school, friends, and your boyfriend. Um, so I think with all that in the mix, that family tends to get pushed to the side. Um, so I really learned how to value 
just those relationships with my siblings and my parents. Uh, but as for fun things, I have uh, to interrupt really, you there, Tatum. I I have to interrupt you. That is such a great thing to to suggest embracing your family, because so many times we just take them for granted and we're not even considering. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, you're going to be with me for the rest of my life. Like I don't have a choice <laughs> but to be with you. So to really focus on those relationships and create that strong relationship. Earlier in the show, we were talking about addictions and and sexual addictions and we're wired to, to be with people. And if we're not embracing that and having that connection, then you will connect with something. And many times that goes into addictions and just because of the craziness of the way that you're the dysfunction in your family. So to be able to really embrace that, I think that's such a great tip. So thank you for suggesting that. Anyway, I interrupted you. Keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. Um, another thing, I love driving, like, with my friends in the wee hours of the morning to the lake just to see the sunset or just to, like, drive there. I don't know. Um, or go to Waffle House super late at night. <laughs> Mm. So yeah, there's just so many things that you can, a lot of it is just hanging out with friends or just being in places where you can just like be with yourself. Like you were talking about like being at a coffee shop and just sitting there and people watching. Um, I think as people, we tend to shy away from the idea of like ever being alone. Um, Like I think the idea of like eating lunch out in public alone, like scares most people listening. Um, so would you agree with that or no? <laughs> you know what? I, I'm so glad that you brought that up. It's that it, Proverbs 13, 12 talks about that where it's like, choose to be fully alive. And that means to choose to be fully alive is no matter where you are. And if you have to go alone somewhere or yeah, be seen alone, we, we freak out over that. Like if, if you have a friend or someone, an acquaintance walk in and you're by yourself, you grab your phone or you, you know, go face down mm. in your computer. Like I'm so busy. I'm so stressed out in life. You know, I'm doing all these amazing things rather than being present and just embracing that. And don't you find like, it's funny that you would say that because I, I see <clears throat> a lot of you know, girls or just, and and guys your age where they won't even show up somewhere unless they have someone to go with because otherwise Mm. they feel I'm the loser that's showing up by myself. I'm the needy person rather than just being fully alive and showing up and going, Hey, I'm here to, to be with you fine people. And yet if you saw someone showing up at a party or an event, or if you saw them at Starbucks by themselves, are you looking at them thinking, what a loser? Yeah. And that's hypothetical. <laughs> like, like, do you think that? No. Yeah. So why do we know. think that? Why do we think that that, you know, that season or that, you know, in your age group that, oh, this is horrible. So I, I'm so glad that, that you brought that up. And, you know, yeah, going I, to the lake, doing some of that, even I, I had a friend recently that they went into the city, you know, downtown, and just started taking pictures. They had all these fun pictures 
of, of them running through the city and doing crazy things and, you know, doing things like that, make it a movie or even strategizing a business plan for your passions. And that's one thing I want to talk about with you, Tatum, is you've done that. You are strategizing a business plan for your passions and you are creating your own um, blog, your own website. You volunteer, you know, at church. You're actually, you know, on staff there. You're doing these things of putting yourself in a situation where you're going to be, instead of looking to try to find the right man, you are being the right woman and then the right man will find you. So it's like carrying yourself, and, and this sounds so geeky coming from me, but carrying yourself like a godly queen, and then you'll attract that <laughs> godly king. See, I knew you would laugh. But <laughs> no, I just love the idea of you thinking of me as a queen. <laughs> <laughs> because God God is in it, and I, and I see you doing that. You are leaning in, um, and, and you know God. God has this. So give us some other things that you're you're going through of just in the in the dark parts of your brain where it's frustrating because we can say all this but then you're sitting around and like you said and I love that when you're with all your friends who are in relationships kind of talk about that because I know so many people are feeling that way of of what you had mentioned earlier. Yeah, um, I think a struggle for me is that I've been single for so long. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I've only had, like, one real relationship. So I think a hard part is just, like, relating with other people my age and just, like, trying to give advice. And then that, like, lie slipping in my head that's like, well, what do you know? You know? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Like, why why would you be qualified to be talking to this person about this? Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. so go ahead. Um, another hard part I think is just like, there are moments when uh, I think we do have those friends that we feel like we can call up at any time, but it's a different You know, like, when you're in a relationship, you really can, like, be like, hey, I need to get picked up right now, or hey, I really need you to come over, I'm feeling sad, or, like, stuff like that, you know? Um, That, like, being in a relationship, like, asking your boyfriend of that is, like, more normalized than asking a friend of that. Um, So I think it's hard learning when to let your friends into those situations instead of being, like, oh, man, this position can only be filled by a boyfriend. Because, honestly, those, like, those pieces and, like, how people support you in your life, even when you're in a relationship, shouldn't all be filled by your boyfriend. So it's just kind of, like, learning to, like, let go of that ideal and letting friends come into that situation. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know even adding on to that, having that support, that recently you were able to go out with a friend who's, you know, struggling with intimacies in, in relationships of being single and being able to have these discussions, to be open and to have those people in your life now that makes it easier to put those guardrails up and have those boundaries. So when you are in that relationship, you can truly have it be Jesus centered. And and mm-hmm. 
do you have anything to add to that? Because I think that's really cool that you guys are kind of getting this accountability group. Yeah, um, it has been really cool. And just like, I think as I've gotten older, um, the people around me are starting to get, like, be willing to be more open about it. Because um, a few years ago, like, we would have never in our life group talked about, like, sex or, like, boys and, like, the temptations. Or if we did, it was just Patty talking and, like, all the girls shaking. <laughs> <laughs> their heads like please stop just kidding um but yeah so it's just been really cool to just um go into that new season of just being able to support each other in that way and being really honest about like the temptations that we go through or um just and I think it's important that when you make those mistakes um like when you make sexual um sins that you not only know that Jesus forgives you, because I think a lot of times it's hard to remember that, because for some reason, like, um, sexual sin just seems like a much greater sin in our eyes, even though God sees it all as equal. Um, but also knowing, so, like, when we see it as such a greater sin, I think it's harder to know that, like, hey, God has you in this. Um, and, yeah, but just also having, like, girlfriends that are like, hey, God has you in this, and, like, we love you. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> no, that that is great. And it, once again, going back to if God is in it, there is no limit. And that that is exactly what you're saying. So many times we, we have this shame and this guilt, and that actually separates us from God, and that's exactly what the enemy wants is to mm – -hmm shame us and have that well thank you tatum for being on the show once again um being single is an amazing embrace it and uh we will talk to you next week all right thank you Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriended, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show.